I'm Kevin, and you're listening to Jean-Luc and Me, Episode 12. I've written my next poem in honor of my cat. I call it Ode to Spot. Felis catus is your taxonomic nomenclature, an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature. Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skill and natural defenses. I find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that obviates your basic hedonistic predilection for a rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection. A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. And when not being utilized to aid in locomotion, it often serves to illustrate the of your emotion. The complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array, and though you are not sentient and do not comprehend, I nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend. Today's episode, Data Lore. And what the hell just happened? All right, let's do some bookkeeping real quick. I'm no longer sick, but uh, somebody forgot to tell my throat. So if I sound a little off, that's why. I want to thank Evil Paul of EPI for shouting me out on the most recent bonus episode of the NPC podcast on Solar Tongue Audio Network. He uh, he really big ups to me. He shouted out this podcast. He shouted out uh, Mechanical Solutions, the homebrew pen and paper RPG system I created that Paul and the other NPCs are using on their NPC Adventures podcast. That's cool. A lot of people think very badly of Evil Paul. But, like, I don't know. He seems like a decent dude. Oh, good for you! And how was it? This was a pretty decent episode. It was buoyed mostly by Brent Spiner getting to do both data and lore. And Brent Spiner's awesome. And Star Trek episodes often shine when you get to see the actors doing something outside of what you consider their wheelhouse. I do have some notes on the the sort of lore-data relationship, but I will save those to the end of this segment, and I will start with a few small detail things. At the beginning, when everyone's not quite sure how to attack the idea of lore being put together... Uh, it's very fun. Argyle can't handle it. Shout out my man Argyle in in engineering. <laughs> Continuing the fine tradition of engineering Scotsman. <laughs> but I love the speech that Picard gives about like, all right, let's not... This is a thing, all right? It needn't be awkward to be reminded that Data is a machine because aren't we all kind of machines, man? I thought that was... That whole thing was pretty cool. The idea of it, the execution. Well done. When they were doing the foreshadowing of the off switch on Data's back, he tried to make a joke about an android alarm clock, and it wasn't a joke, but he was trying. He was happy with himself when he thought it was a joke, and when he realized it wasn't, he wasn't, like, disappointed, but there was just a little bit like, oh, all right, I'll get it. I'm going to keep trying on his face. (laughs) It's real fun. I did not know, I've never known, ever, in all of my Star Trek fandom, that Data has some basic memories from the colonists on this planet. And it does go some way toward explaining why he has, like, 5% emotions instead of zero. I liked when Tasha asked the uncomfortable question, like, this is a security question, 
Captain, how much uh, can you trust Data now? And everybody looks over. Like, I was expecting some old-timey Western piano to stop and chairs to squeak. Because they get a reaction shot of almost everybody on the fucking bridge looking over to like, What did she just motherfucking say? And Picard says, I trust him implicitly, completely. But uh, everyone here should know that that was a completely legitimate security question. And Tasha smiles at him like, thank you, I did not want to have to deal with that in the mess all later. In 10 forward, what do they have? 10 forward. And I just, I just love that uh, somehow on this science vessel, this state-of-the-art science vessel with the most important name that Starfleet can give a ship, that sometimes the best option for scanning stuff is to literally send Jordy to a window <laughs> so we can look out with his visor. Are you fucking serious? And there's not a window on the bridge. He has to, like, leave and go find a fucking window and look out it. What? <laughs> you got... <laughs> like, okay. I'm, I'm keeping that in the positive section here because I actually like it. Like, it's really dumb. But I also just really like it. I, I, sorry. I do. And uh, this is going to be a short section. Saying nice things is always just sort of easier and more boring than the complaining section. So even though I overall liked the episode, I expect the next section to be longer. Data and lore. Data lore. There are a few comparisons that came to my mind as I was watching this episode. The most obvious when Lore was sort of revealing his heel turn, alone with Data. I say revealing his heel turn. Data didn't notice, but that's another thing. Lore and Data are quite a bit like Magneto and Professor X. They've got that same sort of vibe. They are both more than humans. One of them believes in coexistence and understanding and peace. And the other is like, are you kidding? I'm dope. We're dope. We should be taking this bitch over. And and speaking of uh, taking this bitch over, Lore was talking almost like a one-man Borg. I don't know if that continues. I remember Lore from when I was a kid. I remember liking Lore as a character, but I don't remember if his motivation remains... The idea that he has these colonists' memories inside him. Completely. Not the 5% like Data. Like, completely. And he wants more. And I don't... I guess you don't have to kill the people to take their memories. But it's very similar anyway. I, I will accumulate the knowledge of all of the individuals and races, and I, I am better, I will become more... Uh, like a one-man, uh, one-man Borg. And that's fucking scary. Like, I kinda hope they keep that going. Even though they're gonna introduce the Borg soon, I think. The final comparison is a bit more lofty. In creation myths, the creators, the gods, often start with creating a people that are too like themselves. And when that becomes boring and or not useful, 
they often end up having to make a second, less perfect uh, people. If you're listening to this in an English-speaking country, and you probably are, then the most readily available example in your brain will be angels and humans. God created angels. They were powerful and obeyed him completely, and it was boring, so he created imperfect man and gave them free will. It's a pretty common, all across the world, it happens over and over and over again in creation myths. Very much in that tradition, lore was created first. Lore was created to be as advanced as Nunian Sung, and it was not right. It was not useful. Sung had to create a less perfect version in data. And that's, you know, that's on some Joe Campbell shit. I'm digging that. Uh, that said, I'm not going to give this a full lukewarm. I know you're all very disappointed. You've been hearing me talk about it. You were thinking, oh, this is lukewarm easy. No, I'm going to have to knock it down to sickly warm. I'm going to have to knock it down to sickly warm on the Earl Grey scale. And I will tell you why in the next segment. <laughs> What's the catch, Jesus? What's the catch? <clears throat> <sighs> I need some fucking... I need a drink. Hold on. Mm. My throat is killing me. This is not necessary. I haven't been sick for days, but my throat... What was I talking about? Mm, negatives. There are only a couple negatives for me. A couple real, actual negatives worth talking about. But they do drag the episode down overall for me uh, enough that it matters. But before we talk about the ones that are worth talking about, let's talk about the little detail quibbles I have. Uh, no nitpick clacks in this time. These are not nitpicks, these are quibbles. And that's different, somehow. Near the very, very beginning, uh, Wesley gets up to the bridge right as they reach the Omicron Theta planet. I should really be writing this shit down. When they reach Data's home planet, Wesley relieves uh, a gold uniform chick in the miniskirt uniform who's at the console he's usually at. And I'm just thinking, like, God, it must suck to be this bitch. Like... She went through Lord knows how many years of Academy in San Francisco. Like, she's been on other ships in less important roles. And she gets an assignment on the new Enterprise. She's going to be a con officer. She's going to fucking drive the Enterprise. And now she's in a position where as soon as they get to the interesting part the fucking boy steps in with his goddamn jumpers and is like, get out of my seat. And they're fucking, uh, I'm gonna go take this miniskirt down to ten forward and have a drink. The fucking bullshit. Uh. And what is with everyone calling each other Mr. This and Mr. That? Y'all have ranks. Y'all have titles. Mr. Argyle. No, no, no. Chief Argyle. Mr. Riker. No, no, no. Commander Riker. Is this some sort of, like, naval tradition I'm not aware of? What's... That's weird to me. It happens on other shows, too. Other sci-fi shows, not just Star Trek. And I'm going... Does he have a rank title? No, just Mr. Okay. It's like 
both too formal and too personal all at once. It's all wrong, and I hate it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I hate it. Riker's reticence to let the captain go on away missions. I've praised this in the early episodes because it was one of the few things going on with characters at all. It was one of the only things I knew about any characters was that Riker didn't like captains going on away missions. But now that there's other things going on, now that other characters are becoming more like people, I'm starting to see it for what I think it is, which is a big old lampshade on the fact that people did not like Kirk and the entire fucking command staff constantly going on away missions in Star Trek 66. But if that's just how Starfleet operates, if that's how this kayfabe is, then that's fine. Uh, and if policy has changed in the last 80 years or whatever, then that's fine. You don't need to, like, make it a whole fucking how-to-do every goddamn time. As I said, small complaints. But I do have big complaints. The first is the Crystal Entity. I don't have a problem with the idea itself. Crystal Entity that consumes life energy? Giant crystal pine cone in space? Vampire? Fine. Fine. But why this episode? It's so tacked on. This television show, so far from what I've seen, has a big problem doing this. In comedy, there is a concept called hat on a hat. The first hat, the hat that's actually on the head of this episode, is data and lore. It's about their relationship. It's about lore uh, as an antagonist and as a dark mirror of data. It's about what it is to be data and uh, what it is to be an android. That's, that's the actual hat that's on the head. The crystal pinecone vampire is another hat on top of that, story-wise. You don't need it. It's not adding anything. It's, it's oddly out of place. It's getting in the way. And you could almost excuse it if there was a reason for it to be there. It could be a feather on the original hat if they tried to tie it into the concept of uh, what is life. Right? Is this crystal pinecone vampire like a person? Just if Data's a person, maybe this crystal pinecone vampire is a person. But they didn't do that. There was none of that. This show is just so focused on being high sci-fi that it wants another ooh-ah beyond our comprehension. It's an extension of the godlike being gimmick, and I'm losing it. This episode already had a really great gimmick a really great antagonist, and a really great idea, like sci-fi idea. Why are you letting this get in the way? I don't even know what to call it. Crystal Pinecone Vampire? What am I even fucking saying? But that's what you do to me when you do this, and it's unnecessary. I shouldn't be thinking about a Crystal Pinecone Vampire. I should be thinking about lore, and I should be thinking about androids. And, and you have added a grain of sand to that mill. And it's fucking things up. And this is, I mean, this is unforgivable. Like, I don't know if it was a failed attempt at, like, a horror movie ending or what, but at the end, they've gotten rid of lore. Data is the only one left. There's been a big switcheroo where they're wearing each other's clothing. 
And Picard asks Data if he's okay. And Data says, yes, sir, I'm fine. And if you watch along with me, you know why this is a big deal. A big part of this whole episode is that Data cannot use contractions, but Lore can. And that's partially how Wesley finds him out. So how do you fuck that up? How do you fuck that up so poorly? Did they... Did they get rid of Data, and that's actually Lore? But there's no... There's no, like, shoot him, no, shoot him moment. There, I mean, it's, it's very clearly the case that they got rid of Lore and Data remained. There was no moment where we lost track of them. There was no, it has to be that way. And yet, the one that was left behind in the final moments of the episode clearly uses a contraction in the episode where that's a big thing. Why? What are you doing? Like, I might have kept it at lukewarm. The crystal entity might not have ruined it enough for me to knock it down from lukewarm. But when you add that, just complete botch to the finish, um, it's rough. It's rough. Somebody needs to get on top of the situation and fix it! This one was so close. There's no reason this shouldn't have been hotter on the scale. Like, you don't need to change that much. It's pretty much the same for the entire beginning, except for the drawings of the crystal entity. And then, when Lore reveals the heel turn to Data, Data realizes it, because he's not an idiot, and Lore uses the off switch that's been established. You're fucking drugging. Why would you drug Data when you've established the off switch? That's fucking weird. So he literally just, like, goes, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking crazy, brother, and goes to hug him. And fucking, off switch. And then, the one-man Borg thing is, like, the focus of it. Everything on the colony is dead all the way down. The Crystal Entity didn't do it. Crystal Entity doesn't exist. Lore did it. He has all of that in his head. That's kind of maybe why he's like this. Do you have any idea what it's like to be a bug, brother? Do you have any idea what it's like to be a microbe? To think like a microbe thinks? Everyone on this ship begs me to spare them their life. They don't know what life is. They eat animals and plants, and they step on microbes and expel them from their body. I don't respect life. They don't respect life. I'm cataloging it. I'm saving it. I am becoming the most alive anything has ever been. And he goes around the ship, sucking life out of people until they become little husks. And he takes on Wesley as like a sidekick because he's so smart. He understands. You know where I'm coming from, Wesley. You get it. You're smarter than all of these grown-ups combined. I can see it in you. And, uh, you know, conflict and big climax. And, um, Lore would have won, but Wesley turns on him. And, yeah. I don't know. I'm not writing the whole fucking thing. You get the idea. Next week, I have a break from watching Next Gen, and I'm glad for it. You're wondering what the hell I mean. And if you want to find out, 
you will have to see me uh, next time. Silver Tongue Audio.